Man, it feels good to be in church. This is my favorite time of the year, y'all. I love the fall. I love this time of the year. Something about new beginnings. Something about this, there's like newness of life in the air, in the atmosphere. And I believe that God has seasons for us. And I pray we are about to enter into a new season, new beginnings with the Lord. Can you say amen? If you have your Bibles, we're going to do a teaching today that today is going to feel more like a classroom. For some of y'all, that brings bad memories, being in a classroom. But last week, we got to witness something really cool. We had a group of people that went out for a few weeks to talk to people on the streets about God. And uh, it was a beautiful experience. And by the way, we do have street teams that go out with no cameras. Uh, to tell people about Jesus, and we've been doing this since we birthed the church uh, eight years ago, and it's an awesome thing, and I encourage you, if you've never been part of our street team, I highly encourage you to come out and see uh, the power behind it. And I think sometimes it's not so much about the people that you're talking to, I think sometimes God's doing something in you when you go out and begin to minister to people. Can you say amen? amen. So what I want to do today is, is help us with some principles that all of us can grow into knowing how to share our faith, how to talk, how to have conversations. I believe God sets up what we call divine appointments with people. And they happen randomly. God never says when it's going to happen. It could be tomorrow. You go to work and, and God has a divine appointment with one of your coworkers. And if you're paying attention, God is trying to align you with people. And I think a lot of times we miss divine appointments because we're so caught up on ourselves. Hello, somebody. That we don't see the person right in front of us. Could be right next to your cubicle. It could be a Shaw's. My wife has, I don't know why, but my wife has many divine appointments. A Shaw's and Target. <laughs> like, she talks to people all the time. A Shaw's and Target while she's spending my money, you know. <laughs> but what can I say? She's also doing work, mission work. So, uh, what, what can I say? <laughs> So you never know when it's going to happen. So the Bible says to be ready in season and out of season, right? And so I want to I share some principles today to help us. Uh, and I believe that if you, if you take notes, right, these are some principles that all of us can own in and say, God, I want to be one of those people that can lead other people into a relationship with you. Can you say amen? amen. So we are going to be in Acts 17. I want to I share a, a, a moment in Paul's missionary journey that I love so much because there's so much here that Paul is able to extrapolate. I love that word, extrapolate. I don't have a fancy vocabulary, but one word once in a while makes me feel good. <laughs> but Paul was an incredible communicator. Paul was basically responsible to take the gospel to the Gentile world at the time. Anyone who wasn't a Jew... Jesus gave him that mission. And so Paul went from city to city, from country to country, preaching the gospel. And here we're going to see him in Athens, which is modern-day Greece. And I love what Paul does here. And I, because I feel like there's a lot of similarities to our country and where we are today and where we live, actually. And so I pray that you, you, you really zero in and take some notes because I think it's going to help us all do a better job communicating the gospel. Amen? So we're going to pick up from verse 16 in Acts 17, and then we're going to work our way through this, so keep your Bibles open, right? It says this, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square. To all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, What's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, He seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. 
come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things. And we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest idea, a.k.a. YouTube. (laughs) Verse 22. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. That is the word of the Lord. Can you say amen? Now, like I said, keep your Bibles open here because we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna set some, some parameters here and then we're going to jump off and continue forward with this, with this teaching. So, my friends, I want to title this talk again. It's more like a class, The Unknown God. I want to talk about the unknown God. And again, I'm going to jump right into this if you're taking notes. I want you to pay attention to Paul's method of sharing the gospel. Right? Paul will travel from city to city, country to country, and Paul would always focus on two key areas in a city. Paul would go to the local synagogues, which basically was the local churches for the Jewish people. Jesus went to synagogues. Jesus grew up going to a synagogue. He grew up going to church, basically. And so Paul would start there because Paul knew that, like, these Jewish people, they do love God, but they don't have a revelation of Jesus. And so he comes there to try to reason with them through scriptures to say, look, all along you guys have been looking for the Messiah, and here he is. Like, he has come, and his name is Jesus. Right? Why is that important? It's important because if we fast forward to today, our heart's desire is to be a church for the unchurch. In other words, just because we're in church doesn't mean we're all believers. Doesn't mean we all understand why we're here this morning. And so that's why we never get tired of saying invite people into the local synagogue, into the local church to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ so they can come to salvation in Jesus because we have to be careful that people don't by the wrong idea that I'm in the house, I must be in. No, no, no. you got to be in Jesus to be in his will and his purpose. So Paul starts there. But then if you notice, he says he focuses on two areas. The synagogue and the marketplace. The synagogue and the marketplace. Right? In other words, we, we can preach the gospel in church, but also we have to preach it outside of the church, right? The marketplace is where you find yourself. The marketplace is your workplace. The marketplace is where you shop. The marketplace is where you go to the gym to take selfies. The the marketplace is where God has ground you. See, my friends, we have to pay attention to the fact that God doesn't make mistakes. So you work where you work for a reason. It may not be your dream job, but you are there for a reason. You go to the groceries where you go for a reason. So my friends, we need to be living more intentionally in step with the Holy Spirit so we don't miss the divine opportunities that God is putting in front of us. Can you say amen? Young people, you go to church where you go for a reason, but also you go to school where you go for a reason. So if you spend your days complaining about school, you're missing the opportunity to be a blessing in your fellow student's life to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing we need to establish. The gospel is preached in church, but also it's preached everywhere else. Matter of fact, you don't know the gospel is real unless it's going with you. If it doesn't go with you on Monday, then it's not really the gospel. You just went to church and you did a religious thing. But when you have Jesus in you and the Holy Spirit is in you, guess what? The Holy Spirit goes with you. See, God gathers us to give us our assignment for the week. I hope you understand that. My favorite illustration of church is this is the locker room. This is not the game. 
This is the locker room to get your assignment to go play the game on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's the first thing. Second thing I want you to notice here is that Paul has a debate with two groups of philosophy of philosophers of this time period. Now, this is important because this is about you have to understand the culture of the day. Like, if you're going to be an effective evangelist, you have to know where people are. You have to know what people are thinking. You, you have to have a pulse on what is going on in society. Right? And so here, I want to help you understand because the beauty of this is there's nothing new under the sun. Like, when I start to unpack these two philosophies, you'll see it's very similar to where we are today. And that's why I think Athens is very similar to Massachusetts. And I want to prove it to you. So there's these two groups of philosophers and ways of thinking about life, right? So Paul says there's these Epicureans and then the Stoics, right? Let's begin with the Epicureans. Again, this is a class. I hope you're taking notes. Right? Basically, this is how you can sum up the philosophy of the Epicureans. Go ahead and throw up the next slide. They're basically people who believe that, that all there is in life is matter. So they're very materialist and atheist. Right? And their number one goal in life is pleasure. Their aim of life is to seek pleasure, wherever they can find it. Right? But also for them is they want to pursue freedom from pain and anxiety. If that doesn't sound like our world, I don't know what does. Right? If you talk to people today, they will tell you, I just want happiness. I just want peace of mind. And I just want this anxiety to go away. I don't care how. I don't know if you're paying attention, but there's a weed shop in every other corner now. And what is the bottom line of a weed shop is come take your stress down. Come take your anxiety down. Right? Basically is come pursue a life that is free from pain and anxiety. So this philosophy is all about enjoying life. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, you want to enjoy life. I want to enjoy life. There's absolutely nothing wrong with this philosophy. The problem is it's materialistic and it's atheist. In other words, it's me trying to find enjoyment and peace and an anxiety-free life and a pain-free life without the God that created me. In other words, I'm my God, and I need to figure this thing out. So that's, that's a philosophy that was very prevalent in that culture, and it's very prevalent in our culture today. Can you agree? That they, we see this all the time. The other philosophy is the Stoics. Go ahead and throw up the Stoics. Right? The Stoics say, everything is God. In other words, they believe in a world God. Another word for that, a fancy word for that is, is pantheism. Pantheists believe that God is in everything. Nowadays, you might, you, people might say, the universe is God. You know, this is where we get the, the word good vibes from. Just good vibes. Because the universe is God. I might hug a tree today. <laughs> Just looking for good vibes. Because God is in everything. God is in you. God is in me. God is in trees. God is in weed. You know, God is in everything. And, and there's a massive emphasis when it comes to this philosophy that you need to pursue personal discipline and self-control. Nothing wrong with those things, to pursue personal difference and self-control. In other words, every other person now in our day and age is a guru in life. Right? You can't go to social media without someone going, hey, friends, just want to hop in here real quick. <laughs> and let you know how you can lose weight today. With a little personal discipline and self-control, there's nothing you can't achieve. Am I, am I, am I telling the truth? This is, this is the philosophy of our day. And, and in the bottom line is, you've got to follow your reason and be self-sufficient. And also you got the financial gurus, right? Hey, I want to pop in here and let you know that I no longer work 40 hours a week. I don't have to. 
Just made a million dollars last week. What you doing? Hop in real quick. Get on my, get on my comments. We'll make it happen. million dollars a week. <laughs> that, that's, that's the philosophy of the day. Right? This is where we are. Blows my mind that there's nothing new under the sun. Like everything that we're talking about back then is what we're talking about now. It's just that now we have iPhones. If these dudes had iPhones, they'd be on there with their little toga, with their little sandals. <laughs> so this, my friends, these are the two major philosophies. So, so one says you need to enjoy life. The other says you need to endure life. And to be honest with you, if you pay attention, these two philosophies are ingrained in, in us. Indirectly, we all kind of have a philosophy that we're kind of doing our life by. But you know what's fascinating about the Stoics? They believe that everything is God, personal discipline, self-control, follow one's reason, and be self-sufficient. But when you do your homework, the two founders of the Stoic philosophy committed suicide. And you say, why is that? Once again, when you decide we're all God and we got this, a little self-discipline will go a long way, you end up finding yourself in a dead end. Because once again, life does not work without the creator being in the middle of it. So this, the reality is this is what we're contending with in our day and age. We, we live... In a modern-day Athens. By the way, Athens, if you do your history, which you, you did this in high school, you know that the Greeks pride themselves after education. They believe in higher education. They were the Ivy League of their time. Just like, man, we believe in education. We, we, we have Harvard. <laughs> we have wicked smart people. By the way, a young man from our church just graduated from Harvard. Shout out to you for... But here's the thing, they, they were the center of culture and education, right? And the emphasis was always on wisdom and the latest idea, which, again, go to YouTube. It's all about wisdom and the latest idea. Are those things bad? Absolutely not. Education is a good thing. Wisdom is a good thing. Exploring ideas is a good thing. But again, what is the foundation of our lives? What's, dri what's the driving force? So what Paul does is, knowing this, Paul says, hey, how do I bring these people to an understanding of the gospel because they're clearly lacking true life? See, there's a, difference, there's a difference between existing and living. You can exist, but living is a whole different story. Can you say amen? So Paul's approach, please take notes because this is a masterpiece in communication. Paul's approach is, is beautiful and is powerful. The first thing that Paul does, if you notice, he says that his heart was deeply troubled by this. He looked around and saw, man, these people are very superstitious. These people are like Michael Scott. He's a little stitious. You know, he's like, I look around and I see all of these idols. That was an office reference, by the way. Um, okay, I got to move on. I got to stay focused. Um, he says, I look around, I see you guys, you guys are very religious. I'm troub he's troubled in his heart because he's like, man, you're missing it. Like, this, none of this stuff is going to give you life, right? Matter of fact, uh, as I was doing research, they said, you can walk around Greece and you're more likely to find a god than a man because they had so many gods because they didn't want to miss something. And so it's so fascinating that they were so superstitious that they had this inscription that says the unknown god because they're like, just in case we miss a god. That's superstition, right? You, you ever seen superstitious people? Just in case. Patience of praying today. Let me, let me wear the underwears I had like when they won the Super Bowl. Just in case. Just. <laughs> I, I, love, I love sports, right? And soccer is my favorite sport and I watch it every week. And I, 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 the sports fans are so superstitious. Yeah, have you ever watched the, the soccer player before he goes on the field? He has to like do this like three different times. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> what it is, it's just superstition. Like, well, we're believing that that's what's going to make it happen. And if I didn't do that, then I'm not going to do well. We're all 
Now, here's the thing. When you have a superstition, pay attention because there's some things you do. You're like, if I don't do this, if I don't pray the right way, God's not going to bless me. That's superstition. It's, it's, because, it's because last week I, I didn't pray. Then that's superstition. We have to be careful. It's not grace. That's works. Right? So we all have a little bit of a superstitious in us. We have a little Michael Scott in all of us. Paul is troubled because he's like, man, this is not life. This is not the way God intended for you to live. His heart breaks. But then this is the beautiful thing about Paul. Paul begins to now pray for wisdom. How do I address this with these people? Paul doesn't take the approach that I see many people take. They see a problem. They address the problem with no solution. Like a lot of evangelism that I see nowadays is you're just making noise. You're not making any progress. Because all you're doing is point out the obvious. But you're not actually trying to lead people to something new. And a breakthrough. And healing. To be honest with you, what scares me about some evangelism is like, you don't care about the person you're trying to reach. You just want to be right. Come on, talk to me. Like, when you come up, people, and you're like, you're going to hell, and internal burn, and you have all these signs, and, and you, like, what does that say to the other person on the other side of this conversation? So what does Paul do? He's troubled. He's convicted. He prays, and he finds a way in. Please write this down. My friends, we must learn to build bridges with people. You must learn to say, God, how is the best way to have this conversation? You know, people say, I'm just telling you the truth. There's a thousand ways to tell the truth. I want to tell the truth like Jesus would tell the truth. Because when the people quote that, they, they misquoted. Jesus said the truth will set you free. But he wasn't scolding them. He was trying to expose them to reality. So Paul takes a moment and says, man, I need to figure out, and, 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 and I love this. Please write this down. Paul begins with a compliment. Even though his heart is broken, he compliments them. Why? Because the way to a human's heart is compliment. You don't try to date someone by telling them they need to lose weight. You go, you girl. <laughs> I see that you're very religious in every way. <laughs> and I just want to praise the Lord with you. You start with a compliment. You, you build bridges. So what does he do? He says, hey, I see that you're very religious in every way. And as I walk around your city, man, I saw... So many idols, but you had this one inscription that says to the unknown God. You know how brilliant that is? That doesn't happen overnight. That happens over time. Where you're praying and you're being strategic about what you say. In other words, you don't do this without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Because it's never one size fits all. Go look at Jesus. Jesus never approached two people the same way. Because he knows I need to figure out where this person is and try to help him come along. Go study Jesus because that's who we try to emulate. Jesus talks to Nicodemus in a specific way. And then in, in the next chapter, he talks to a Samaritan woman very different than he talked to Nicodemus. And then chapter 5, he talks to another person very different from the way he talked to Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. Why? Because he knows it's never one size fits all. How can, I bread, how can I build a bridge between me and the person that's listening to me on the other side of this conversation? So he says, let me talk to you about this unknown God because, because I think that's the God you really are looking for. Think about it. If someone's religious, it's because they're looking for God. So don't just dismiss that. Don't just bash it. 
Some people, that's why I like what Wally said last week. There's a lot of things you, they could have said. But it's like right now we're just trying to build a bridge. Let's build a bridge first before we bring the other things into the conversation. Because I know some of you in the room who were religious like, they didn't say this, they didn't say that, they, ah, they let them believe. Like, no, no, you're building a bridge. Rome was not building one day. By the way, this is very important. You may be just the next conversation. You may not be the closer. You ever heard the person who says, yo, I, 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 I was able to lead this person to Jesus. He's like, yeah, you and a hundred other people who planted seeds along the way. You got to close the deal, now you're taking all the credit. You just happen to be that last guy that he or she was ready to say, okay, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. But guess what? He, he or she probably had a praying grandmother, an uncle, a friend, an encounter with a stranger. Like God's leading us along slowly. Look at your own life. Trace back your life and you see so many people along the way that's brought you to where you are today. None of us can say, oh, listen, from birth. I knew Jesus. <laughs> if you are that guy, repent. <laughs> so what does he do? He says, let me talk to you about this unknown God. And so we're going to jump in to verse 24. He says, look, Paul says, first of all, you have to understand he's the creator. He says, look, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth... He doesn't live in man-made temples. See what Paul is doing here? Paul is trying to elevate their thinking about life. He's like, man, I see you try to worship all these gods. You got all these temples. You got all these shrines. You got all this. But it's like the reality is there is a God. He's the creator. But guess what? He's too big to be living in his little things. So Paul is trying to elevate their thinking. You know why? Please write this down, because I don't care who you are, we all have the same universal questions in life. Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? That's universal. I don't care where you go in the world. Go to Iraq, people are wondering, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Go to, go to Africa, go to Asia, no matter where you go, this is universal. People are wondering about the existence of their lives. You may not ask that directly, but you're asking that indirectly. By everything that we're doing, we're trying to answer those questions. Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? You can have that conversation with any human being on the face of the planet. Because we're all uh, wondering about those questions. Remember, the Epicureans believe matter is all there is. And if you're paying attention, there's a new atheism on the, on the rise, they're actually doing really well, because they're appealing to a lot of people's consciousness about life and about existence. And if you, again, if you are a nerd and you look into YouTube, there's a lot of that going on right now. New atheism. And it's thriving, because religion is dying in our nation. Now this is important. There's more people now identifying themselves as nuns. Nuns mean like, I don't have any affiliation to anything. Right? And part of it, you know why part of this is? Now, this is, this is you're going to have to wrestle with this. Part of the reason why I believe, not just I believe, research is showing that people are, identify themselves with nuns instead of any other religious affiliation is because Christianity in America has failed people. Organized religion has failed people. It's failed to answer these questions. Because organized religion got in bed with politics. So people are fed up with organized religion. Some grew up in very legalistic churches. They're like, I'm done with this. This doesn't give me life. It suffocates me. So this is the reality we're living in right now. And, and this is why I'm telling you, that's why we did the whole family series. You've got to take, take ownership of your family and teach your kids how to follow Jesus, not religion. Yeah. 
And we live in the state of Massachusetts. Organized religion has jacked up a lot of people in the state because of the, what happened in the Catholic Church. We probably all know somebody who no longer be- wants to believe and wants to be in church because of organized religion. So Paul is trying to establish something higher. Yes, you are religious, but there is a God, there's a creator who can answer these questions that you're actually searching for. And please write this down. The Epicurean says, matters all there is. Stoics go the other way and say, everything is God, so we don't really need one, like there's not one God. And Paul is trying to establish that in the Christian perspective, please hear me on this. In the Christian perspective, it starts with, in the beginning, God. If you can't establish that, you're always going to find yourself trying to conjure up a reason for your existence outside of the fact that you were created. In the beginning, God. Now, here's the key. Not a distant God. Some people are deists. You know what deists are? They believe that there is a God who kind of put the whole thing in motion, but he kind of left us alone. That's not the Christianity that we believe in. That's not what the scripture teaches us. Matter of fact, we, Paul was going to get to a place. He's like, not only was he a, a God who created, but he's a God who came close. So not a distant God. Also, not a, not, listen, please write this down. Not locked in creation. He's not creation. He's creator. Like nothing exists outside of him. He created all things. So God is not in everything. No, God is the one who created everything. So he's not locked in creation. But here's this. I love this. But he's too great to be in main, man-made temples. Understand this morning, we are in a temple that used to be a Shaw's. <laughs> I love the irony of that. So in other words, this temple is not what holds God. What holds God is the living temples. And he is too concerned with us to leave us alone. He is a personal and intimate God. And we can all, all of us who have who have experienced Jesus can testify to how personal and intimate he is. I don't know about you, but every time we do baptisms, blows my mind. Never gets old for me to hear total strangers who've never met each other say, hey, I was this and this was happening, but Jesus. I was this and this and that, but Jesus. I was this and uh, Jesus, but Jesus. I, I, that blows my mind. We've baptized close to 700 people, and they're all like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. So understand that Paul is like, man, i got to elevate your thinking. we have to elevate our people's thinking around us. There is a God. He's the creator. Then he, then he brings the next point of who God is. He says he's not just a creator. God is a provider. Watch verse 25. Watch this, right? Verse 25. And human hands can't serve his needs. For he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything. And he satisfies every need. How awesome is that? Oh, that's so good, my friends. Listen, here's another thing that religion has jacked us up. We don't serve God. God serves us. I know that jacks you up a lot of people. Like when we say come serve, we're not saying like we really need you. We're saying, oh, come be an expression of who God already is in you. (laughs) Because don't get it twisted. We don't need you. God don't need you. God don't need me. (laughs) He don't need any of us. Psalm 50, go look it up. God is sarcastic. He says, if I was hungry, would I tell you? In other words, what can you do for me? What are you going to go to Burger King for me? He was saying, I'm God all by myself. I just want to partner with you and teach you how to actually be like me. Please, please, religious people, we don't serve God. God serves us. When we serve, we're just representing who he is. 
Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. To give my life as a ransom to many. Many people thinking, you know, here's, here's what I have available. I can serve every three months. It's like, keep your service. <laughs> you don't get it. You know, you get to play a role. And it's a blessing to serve. It is because why? It is more blessed to give than to receive. My friends, God is self-sufficient. He's the only self-sufficient thing on the planet. You are not self-sufficient. Try not eating for a couple of weeks. Try not drinking for just five days. You're not self-sufficient. It is his breath. In your lungs. So you ought to give him praise. I don't think you understand. You are on life support. Alert, alert. If he pulls the plug, it's over. <laughs> hey, it's amazing how we walk around like. Not realizing every time you breathe, you're saying, God, God, God. God, God, God. The word breath means spirit. Spirit means pneuma. Pneuma means ruha. Ruha means spirit. You could be an atheist, but you're still relying on God. So Paul destroys the religious approach with just two comments. There's a creator and there's a provider, and you ain't neither one of those. James tells you, the brother Jesus, every good and perfect gift comes from? Above. You got something good going on in your life? It wasn't you. It wasn't you. It was God. And a good wife. <laughs> yeah, that's good. It's God and a good wife. But even that, who gives you a good wife? If it was up to you, you'd marry Shaquina. So please get this, what Paul is trying to establish. There is a creator, there's a provider. It's his goodness. That leads us to repentance. In other words, God all along is the one that's nudging you towards him. In another time, in another city of Rome, Paul says it this way. In, Rome, in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, he says this. Go ahead. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin. Another version says, can't you see that his goodness is trying to lead you to repentance? Everything that God does is to try to bring you to this place of repentance. What is repentance? See, here's another, really thing, another religious thing we jack up. We think repentance is, I'm really sorry for what I did wrong. No, that's not repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. Like, don't live like you don't have a creator, a provider, a healer, a savior, a God who loves you. And don't think you're running your own life. That's true repentance. No, I'm sorry, God, I'll never do it again. And then, you know, you know what happens. Because you're still running on your own strength. Are you tracking? Not only is he creator, provider, and then next Paul's like, he's also ruler. Look at verse 26 through 29. Watch this. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. And he determined their boundaries. His purpose for the nations, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way. Toward him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and exist. A sum of your, I love this. Paul quotes one of their own people. He says, Look, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, 
We shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. So good, my friends. He's creator, he's provider, but he's also ruler. It's funny because what Paul is doing here, he's actually poking at them because the Greeks believe that they were a special breed. Like there's no one else like us. And Paul was like, actually, no, there's, you're all created from the same thing. It's a very humbling thing when people come to their senses and realize, wait, I'm not as special as I thought I was. <laughs> it's the Steve, it's Steve Harvey joke, right? Steve Harvey said, you know, every parent thinks their kid is so special. <laughs> because your kid usually plays by himself. And you're like, look at, look at Jimmy, he's so amazing. Look at him, he knows his ABCs. And he's, and he's like, but then you get your, your, your friends, your, your, your kids to start playing around other kids, you realize, oh, Maybe Jimmy's not as special as I thought he was. <laughs> he used other words I'm not going to. we in church. But Greek gods, if you study Greek mythology, you know that Greek gods were very selfish. It was all about them. And they were distant. They didn't even care for humans. They wanted to use humans. Unfortunately, organized religion has made a lot of people feel like they were just being used. But this God of creation, my friends, is not just a God of creation. He's a God of history. And he's also a God of geography. Because he tells you here that he's in charge of history. He's in charge of nations. And he's in charge of you. A couple observations about you. Just so you realize how not special you are. How's that for Sunday morning inspiration? (laughs) Couple observations. Watch this. I didn't choose my parents. Neither did you. That was given to you. Whether you like it or not, you didn't choose your parents. Two, you didn't choose where you will be born. I was born in Cape Verde. West coast of Africa, in a little tiny island named Santiago, St. James, in a very humble village. I didn't choose that. That wasn't my plan. <laughs> and guess what? That wasn't your plan neither. To be born where you were born, with the parents that you were born. And this is what blows my mind. What about the era you were born in? You could have been born in the 1600. Matter of fact, some of y'all, I wish you were born in the 1600s. <laughs> Maybe you will have a little bit more appreciation for the 21st century. You're out here whining about air conditioning. And they're dying of little things that could be solved by the evolution that we've had. See how humbling that is? We're not as in control as we think we are. But there is a ruler over history, over geography, over nations. And he's not done ruling his world. Very humbling thing. God ordained these things. Sometimes we are cursing the very thing that God ordained. And he says he's not far from any of us. And I love this statement. He says he created things as he did that we can feel our way towards him. I love that. Feeling our way towards him. Because the truth is, I believe every human being is looking for God. They're just feeling their way towards him. They may hit some idols. They may hit some things in a way. But the reality is, we're all looking for the God who created us in the first place. All of us. Even the hardest of atheists. You know, God is an expert at turning atheists into believers. Don't believe me? I don't know what that is, but I rebuke that. In Jesus' name. (laughs) My friends, and I love this, please, because I'm running out of time. Take notes. Paul quotes 
actually three different poets here from their time period. You know what Paul is doing? Paul is brilliant, man. I love Paul. I can't wait to meet him in heaven and just chop it up with him. He quotes their poets because he's saying, when someone tells the truth, you can own that. doesn't matter who says it. That's like, that's like today, if you hear a song by a secular artist, but they tell them the truth, the truth will set them free. Like the truth is truth no matter what. Truth is truth no matter who says it. Why? Truth is not some lucifer idea out there. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the light. A great evangelist will take what society is saying and flip it on their heads and show them, like, you're actually trying to say this. You're trying to talk about God. You're trying to see God. You're trying, uh, let me elevate your thinking with your own thoughts. That's how brilliant Paul is. So in other words, I hear some religious people were like, I don't listen to anything that is not Christian. I'm like, you're missing a lot of truth out there. By the way, by the way, young people, when you go to college, you know, the big thing that it blows my mind when people are like, you go to college, you lose your way. It's like, no, you don't go to college to lose your way. If you're rooted in truth, truth will find you. doesn't matter what class you're in. You just got to be able to say, oh, what that professor is meant to say is, I'm rooted in the truth already, and so I can align myself with the truth and, and take the rest out. Paul says, listen to everything, retain what's good. So never be afraid. When someone says something, they might, you think it's disproving the Bible. It's like, no, maybe that's an angle that I never saw before because you can't disprove what God's already written. <laughs> that's a good word. I, I hope you understand. See, truth is truth. But here's the thing. This is important now because we, we, everybody thinks everything is God and we're all God's children. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is establishing that there is a creator, there's a provider, there's a ruler, but not everyone is his kids. It's important. Again, just because you're in church today don't mean you're saved. If you haven't received the gift of salvation that only comes through his son Jesus Christ. In the book of John, it tells you this about salvation. Look, Jesus came to his own people and, and they even rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. We are God's creation, but not all of us have been adopted into his family. In other words, sinners become children by adoption through Jesus. So important. I don't want you to miss this because one day... You're going to stand before God. He's, he's going to say, did you accept the gift of my salvation? You're like, I went to church. Wrong answer. My mom prayed. Good for her. I did catechism, baptism, dunktism. I was an altar boy. Your point. Did you surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and got yourself under his blood and his covering for your forgiveness of sin? And then Paul gets to his last point, and which is my last point today. Paul, again, is establishing creator, provider, ruler, and then savior. Look at verse 30. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone, everywhere, to repent of their sins and to turn to him. For he has set a day. Don't lose this because they're coming. Don't stay here, squirrels. Stay here. <laughs> stay right here. Lock in. Lock in. I'm going to read that again because it's important. Are you guys done moving yet? Stop moving. <laughs> Stay right here. Let's read that again because you can't. The devil is a liar. Stay right here. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. Verse 31. 
For he has set a date for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Not only is he creator, provider, ruler, he's savior. Jesus came to save us from our sins. To rescue us. Another better word for salvation is rescue. He says, I came to rescue you from you. Sin is in you. You're missing the mark because it's in you. There's nothing you can do to get rid of this. So he's so good. He's so God. He comes close to us in the person of Jesus. My friends, understand this. God's grace is patient. The Bible says, even Peter says it this way. He says, God is slow to get angry, quick to show mercy. And Peter was like, some of y'all are mocking us because we say Jesus is coming back. And he's like, don't you understand it's for your own good that he hasn't come back yet? Because he wants all men to come to repentance. See, Jesus said, God didn't send the, Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. But one day, though, he's coming back as judge. He came back as Savior, but when he comes back, he's coming as a judge. And everyone who didn't accept him and his gift of salvation will be outside of his will if you haven't received him as the penalty of your sins. Again, not I feel bad for my sins. No, are you living in step with your creator, provider, ruler, and savior? Again, back to Rome. Powerful book, by the way. If you could read one book in the New Testament, read Rome, Romans. Paul says this in, in Rome, in Romans. I keep saying Rome because that's the city. <laughs> Romans chapter 3, he says, look, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. One sacrifice for all people everywhere. You know another thing that blows my mind? Right now, anywhere in the world, people are doing what we're doing right now. Worshiping this Jesus. All over the world, according to statistics, about 2.1 billion people say, I follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior. All over the world. God held back his divine wrath. Now he commands everyone, turn away, metanoia. Change your thinking, change your perspective, surrender. I have a purpose and a plan for your life. It's a gift of salvation. See, believe. Here's another thing we get it wrong with religiosity. Believe is not in your knowledge like, oh yeah, I believe there's a God. That's not what believing implies. Believing says, I perceive that there's a God and now my life, my actions, my words, my thoughts, my commitment, my sex life, my finances, my relationships, it's all surrendered to him and his will and his purpose for my life. That's true salvation, my friends. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Because he will return as a judge. And he says at that point, it's two judgments. There's the judgment of the saints, which is basically, what, what did you do to contribute to the kingdom? By the way, another sobering truth. You came to church, but what did you contribute? What did you do to contribute to my kingdom? Did you help it? Did you expand it? Did you bless it? Did you help people? Did you pray with people? Did you show my way? That's the judgment of the saints. Then there's the judgment of those outside of his will. Where he's going to say, Apart from me, I never knew you. We don't want to be here. We want to be here. We want to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You did exactly what I asked you to do. But you know what's interesting? 
there's always going to be mixed responses to this gospel. Just like right now in the room, you're all responding different to what I'm saying. There's nothing new under the sun. Watch this. This is how, how they respond. And this is how people still respond today. Look, we're going to conclude right here. Watch this. Mixed responses. Verse 32. Watch this. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. Ha, ah, come on, man. You born again people. You ridiculous. With your crazy stuff. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. Some were intrigued, like, whoa, wait, you're saying some stuff here that I need to consider. But watch this. Verse 33, they ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. You're always going to have this mixed response when the gospel is being preached. Among them were Dionysus, a member of the council of women named Damaris, and others with them. So bottom line is this. The gospel of Jesus Christ will always make people respond differently depending on where they are in their journey. See, this is why you have to be careful as believers. It's not your job to save anyone. Your job is to be a living witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I feel confident I did my job this morning. The way you respond to that, that's on you. You might be in the category of like, this is ridiculous. You know, I can't believe he's saying these things. God bless you. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm intrigued. I just, man, i like to hear more. Guess what? Then pursue it. See where he leads you. But some of y'all, you're like, man, I'm ready. Like, man, this, this is it. Like, I need to trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior today. I need to surrender my life to him. I don't want to be on the outside looking in. Like, this makes sense to me. He is creator. He is provider. He's ruler. I need him to save me today. And if that's you, oh, I'd love to pray with you. It's the greatest privilege in life to be able to pray and say, Let's do this. Let's invite Jesus into your life. Let, let's follow him, man. Let's see where he takes us. Because for me, man, I remember I was 20 years old doing all the Epicurean things, doing all the stoic things, and he met me when I was 20 years old, and he changed my life, and I still haven't been done with me yet. Still changing me. Still shaping me. But before I pray with you, I want to just talk to a lot, one last group of people. You're a believer. Now it's your responsibility to take this gospel to your Athens. Take it to your job. Take it to your schools. Take it to your shores. Take it to your target. We might as well do something useful at Target while we're at it. <laughs> take it to your social media page. Take it where you are because the gospel is you. You are the good news. You know why? Because Jesus has changed you transform you. Come on, stand with me as we pray at home. Stand with me as we pray this morning. If you're ready to make the greatest decision of your life, I would love to pray with you. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he, that he, that he came and he died for you and he rose again from the dead and he, and he loves you, man. He, he's madly in love with you and he wants to Get a hold of you so you can follow him. Now go to church, follow him, and become the church. With every head, bow our eyes closed. Why do we bow our heads and close our eyes? To mind your own business. That's why we do that. And if you heard me today, you're like, man, you, you were talking to me, man. I'm ready to surrender and give my life to Jesus. On the count of three, because I don't have a lot of time here, and I don't believe in manipulation. I don't believe in trying to force you. you got to make a decision for yourself. On the count of three, if that's you, you're like, man, I need to give my life to Jesus. I'm ready to surrender. One, two, three. Get your hand up and say, I, I want to pray right now. I want to pray right now. I see so many hands. Anybody else, don't miss this moment. This could be the moment that changes you for all eternity when you will surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus. I'm going to say this prayer, but you got to say it with me, but you got to mean it. you got to mean it. you got to really repent, turn from your sins. Say this prayer with me. We're all going to say it, especially you guys with your hands raised. Let's say it together. Let's say it with confidence. Say, God, I heard you, and I'm responding to your gift of salvation. Jesus, 
I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again to give me life, to forgive me my sins. So today, I want to repent from living my own way. I want to turn my life to you. I want to surrender to you and pray that you would fill me with your spirit from this day forward. My life is yours. I want to live in the fullness of your will. So take me and lead me down the path of righteousness for your name's sake. And I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's thank God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of salvation. And if you're saved already, give Jesus some praise in this house.